bum bum bottom 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 You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each week we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four cola realm. Though this week we're doing something a little different. Yeah, as you can tell from our really rad audio, we're recording live from the road driving from Heber City to Park City, Utah for the Sundance Film Festival. And uh, we're recording with our janky iPhones. <laughs> so uh, we apologize for the audio quality. We will be back in the Dort Cave next week. But as we said in the last episode, uh, we wanted to take a little time uh, to talk with you guys. We're not really focusing on comic books this week because we just haven't had the time. We're reporting on Sundance for the In the Mouth of Darkness podcast, as well as AfterMovieDiner.com and FilmSchoolRejects.com. So, yeah, so that's that's the deal. We're in Sundance, Lisa. Woo! We could not be more excited to be here. We, for some reason, we didn't think that this trip to Sundance being part of the press was not a possibility for us. Uh, I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would ever be able to attend Sundance Film Festival. And Lisa and I, on a whim, submitted ourselves and our podcast, In the Mouth of Darkness, to partake in the press side of things, and they accepted us. And that's like winning the lottery. We were so stoked. And it just goes to show, like, the worst you can hear whenever you're trying for something is no. Right, right. And they did it. They said yes. And we are on day 11. Uh, we're recording this Saturday morning, uh, so yes, we're also going to be late on this episode. Uh, and, and and we've seen 37 movies already, and our brains are mush. <laughs> but we're not done yet, because we have two more days. Yep. Um, the press screenings have ended, so we are going into the like gambling process of doing wait lists. Because since we're press, we haven't paid for any tickets, but they have a system where we can kind of get in line so, so we're going to be doing a lot of standing around today, hoping and wishing and praying yep. that we get into these screenings. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But it's been a wild ride so far. We've talked to so many cool people. We've interviewed uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Irene Brodsky. Irene Brodsky. Alexandra Felipe, the director of the Alien Doc Memory, which we highly recommend. Um, a lot of the cast of Velvet Buzzsaw. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the cast, but not Jake Gyllenhaal because no. they cut off the interviews right before we were talking. That has been our major heartbreak <laughs> of Sundance so far. Um, that but, and accidentally uh, sleeping in and missing the farewell yesterday morning. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. But before we get ahead of ourselves, I just want to say. You know, last episode, we ended, you know, saying that we were going to write an article for Adventures in Poor Taste uh, blog as part of their Cyclops week. And we were crossing our fingers that we were going to be able to collaborate and get that done on time. Well, I hope you guys have already gone over to that website and seen that, yes, Lisa and I did it. 2,000 words all about Scott Summers, Jean Grey, and the five love languages. Yes, hopefully um, uh, you guys... 
I don't know what I'm saying. Hopefully oh. you guys read that, you enjoy it. It's kind of like a condensed version. Yeah, condensed at 2,000 <laughs> words, Lisa. We have a lot to say. Yeah, so our thanks to Chris Hassan over at Adventures in Poor Taste for asking us to partake in that. Uh, it really was like a true pleasure. Had a ton of fun writing it. And being part of Cyclops Week. Yeah, Cyclops Week. That was really Week. cool. I, it made me feel better because like we, we did a lot of time on that month of episodes taking a big dump on Scott Summers <laughs> and it's nice to like celebrate that dude and, and find a few nice things to say about him as well yeah uh, so yeah go head on over to Adventures in Poor Taste but for today as we're driving on the on, I think it's Interstate 40 I think that's what we're on we're driving through some snowy mountains as we speak uh, I thought what we could do to keep it on brand with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast talk about two movies that we saw this past week that we feel like are comic book adjacent, if not direct adaptations of comic books, films that might speak to certain audience members who read, uh, you know, The Four Color Realm. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Lisa, what was the, what's the film that you want to highlight? I want to highlight the film Little Monsters. So good. So good. It's about... Um, this guy, he's really fighting with his girlfriend. His name is Stevens. And uh, he, they have been together nine years, but it's just not working. And finally, she kicks him out. And so he's uh, stuck moving in with his sister and his nephew, Felix. And he's he is a, pr- uh, a proud not-kids guy. He's a stunted child is what he is. Absolutely. He's still hanging on to his being a rock and roller in his yeah. band, but his band, you know, is defunct. Yeah. Um, he has no consideration for how his sister is trying to raise his child, and he's, you know, having him play these violent zombie video games. He's swearing in front of his child all of the time. He just has no respect for um, what it takes to really care for and foster a child. So, um... Uh, so his his sister essentially says, "You got to shape up or ship out. Like if you if you're staying with us rent free, you're gonna have to pull your weight." And so his first task is to drop Felix off at his kindergarten, and that's where he sees Miss Caroline. Miss Caroline. Ba, 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 ba. So Miss Caroline is played by Lupita Nyong'o. And she is like the platonic ideal of the sweet kindergarten teacher. She plays Taylor Swift on her ukulele. She has all kinds of cute um, songs and routines to keep the children in line. And the children worship her almost as much as they worship uh, Teddy McGiggles, the Wiggles slash... um, Teletubbies. Slash, I don't know. Clues, like, clues. <laughs> Soup's creepy to the adult, I think. Yeah, played by Josh Gad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, so. Incredibly annoying. Very annoying character. But, I mean, he's for children. He's not for us. But, um, so, uh, long story short, Stevens is totally got the hots for Miss Caroline. And one of the chaperones for the trip to the Pleasant Valley Zoo has dropped out and of course Stevens is right there to volunteer and um, against her better judgment she's like okay sure. 
<laughs> um, so they go to the they go to the zoo, and who's there? But Teddy McGiggles. Oh yay! And um, Teddy McGiggles is. Um, Interacting with the kids. I think he's recording a program or something. Yeah, doing a television show. And the kids are, like, having the time of their lives um, when they're on the, the like, little sleigh ride, whatever, hayride. And um, a zombie outbreak has, from the adjacent U.S. testing facility next door, breaks out. Those damn U.S. government agents. What I love about this movie is it really... Honors all of the responsibility a teacher takes on when she is when she is taking care of her class. Like um, she, she, when a teacher takes care of a classroom, she's in charge of the kid's education. She's in charge of the kid's safety. She's in charge of if the kid has some kind of allergy. She's in charge of doing the EpiPen. She. Um, has to keep the kids together. She has to foster their self-esteem. All the while, uh, dealing with a zombie outbreak. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I don't know if we've mentioned this uh, once or twice on this podcast already, but Lisa was a, a, a homeroom teacher for a long Not time. Not a homeroom teacher. I was um, a classroom K- teacher. Yeah, classroom teacher. I was a K-3 music teacher, and the fact that um, a lot of her classroom routines involved music and she always had her ukulele with her and she's singing the wheels on the bus and she's singing <laughs> shake it off and she's singing you know and and she's really keeping the kids calm and she's trying to like give the impression that oh this isn't a zombie outbreak and we're all gonna die this is a game and we just have to it's like a game of tag you just don't let the things touch you right you know don't you know like don't be scared. It's not real. But the fact that you were a classroom teacher. Yeah, it really resonated with Yeah, me. Lisa got super emotional as the film just progressed. And uh, I think that's all we'll talk about plot-wise with Little Monsters. That being said, the practical effects are amazing. These zombie makeups are um, really uh, classic. They're ugly. They're funny in some cases. And... Due to the setting at the Pleasant Valley Zoo, they find some uh, unique opportunities to uh, get munchy uh, <laughs> with zombie zombie fodder. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely highly recommend. Um, I You know, Lisa mentioned Shake It Off. It's wall-to-wall Taylor Swift songs. Uh, and, and how do you get a Taylor Swift to do your zombie movie? Well, you cast Lupita Nyong'o. At least that's what the director said at the Q&A. Apparently, all she had to do was ask nicely. And, and uh, Taylor uh, said, you got it. Here you go. So why I think this is a good movie for comic book fans, not only is it colorful, it's it's even though... It's, I found it very emotional. It's, it's very light, but it really deals with um, the dual personality you have to deal with when you're a hero. Like the front you have to put on because you're, you have to be the one to be brave. You have to be the one willing to take, take a risk. So, you know, when she's with Steven, she's a little bit more open about how she really feels when she's taking care of these kids and how and how frightened she is but when she's with the kids she's totally you know she's 
no longer Audrey or whatever her first name is. I can't remember. Um, she's no longer Audrey. She's now Miss Caroline. And Miss Caroline is together. Miss Caroline is a ray of sunshine. It's, it's, it's really um, that idea of balancing your light and your dark. Yeah. And then on the couple side of things... Uh, the, the main character What's his name again? Stevens Stevens, thank you uh, You know, the film opens Over these really entertaining uh, credit, This credit sequence Where him and his girlfriend Are just screaming at each other mm -hmm. From one scene to the next From one building to the next Like, they cannot be in the same room together Without tearing into each other verbally And uh, the, the, it's a good setup for You know uh, it, it's it's kind of like Marco and Alana in Saga Volume Four. <laughs> They've been together for such a long time, uh, and, and they're 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 struggling with their own inner demons, and they can't deal with themselves, so and they're tearing think, each other down. I don't think they even respect each other. Oh well, certainly and, not. Like he he really doesn't prioritize her needs, and I think what makes like what he finds so attractive about Miss Caroline, not just the fact that she, uh, it looks like Lupita Nyong'o, <laughs> but um, he really admires her and admires what she's doing and admires what she's capable of. And I think when you are finding a person that you want to be with, you have to really see in that other person things that you aspire to also be. Like, I, like Brad is so creative. He, um, he is, you know, so enthusiastic about so many different things. I really admire that about him. And, um, I give him room to do that. And I, I want to do it with him because I, like I, I aspire. Right. Right. So yes, Little Monsters, highest recommendation. Yes, it does have the same title as that Howie Mandel, Fred Savage film from the 80s. I know, it makes it tough to Google. <laughs> but they're not at all alike. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, okay, that that is Lisa's pick. Good pick, Lisa. I Thank like that you. film, too. Thank you, my love. Uh, my pick is going to be Joe Talbot's The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Yes. A film that... Over the course of its first 15 minutes, I turned to you, Lisa, and I said, oh, my God, this is the best movie of the festival without a doubt. Mm -hmm. And as of right now, I would probably stick to that sentiment. Um, why did I feel that way? Well, I mean, it's an incredibly visual feast of a movie. Um, it, it, it opens with this close-up close-up of a young black girl looking up into the sky. She's lost some teeth. She's rubbing her tongue across her gums, and she's just staring up at wonder. And what is she staring to? Cut to the next frame, and we see a man in a hazmat suit. And then we cut back to a wide shot, and we see that there are several men in hazmat suits uh, cleaning the bay of San Francisco because it is completely polluted and the fish are poisoned. Some of them have three eyes, Simpsons uh, uh, style. Springfield fish are <laughs> roaming the bays of San Francisco. And, uh, the, you know, you're, you're caught off guard because the images are so, uh, you know, they're almost, you know, apocalyptic. Uh, they're beautiful, but something is terribly wrong. 
uh, and, and then over the course of the movie, we get to meet our main characters, uh, Jimmy, played by Jimmy Fails, and Montgomery, uh, played by who is it, Lisa? Do you have the the information up there? Sure. Um, Jonathan Majors, is that it? Yeah. Yeah. So they're two buddies um, who are living on the outskirts of San Francisco. And Jimmy, he grew up in his grandfather's house. After World War II, his grandfather built this beautiful, gorgeous uh, building. And for a long time, the family lived there. Uh, But economic uh, downfall being what it is, they were forced to move. And Jimmy's kind of been in this constant flux of homelessness. Uh, he's, you know, lived in a group home. He's lived in a car with his dad. He's just, he's, he wants to return back to that safety and that comfort of his grandfather's house. And because of that, he is obsessed with that building and he is constantly returning there, observing what is going on with that building. If the family inside is still uh, maintaining its, its, the love it should receive. And of course it's not. So he is going back occasionally, uh, planting flowers in their garden, uh, painting their windowsill, keeping it precious uh, like it is in his memory. Now, he's currently living with Montgomery and his dad, played by Donald, uh, not Donald Glover, Danny Danny Glover, Glover. (laughs) who who is a a blind guy uh, who loves his son, not too crazy about his son's friend, but he puts up with it. And he seems to love noir. Yeah, well, they all watch movies together, uh, and, and Montgomery has to narrate what is happening physically uh, to to Danny Glover. Those scenes are really cool. And then uh, Grandpa Alan always wants to know how hot the movie stars are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the reason, like, I picked this film uh, for our comic book podcast is, yes, it is, it is a beautiful movie. It's well uh, composed. It's meticulously composed. The frame, the mise-en-scene. Uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful movie, obviously. Like, you could say that about so many films. That's not necessarily comic booky. Uh, but what is comic booky is the backgrounds of each of these frames and how they're populated with strange characters. And, and I'm thinking about a particular comic book and a particular comic book movie. I'm thinking about Daniel Klaus and Terry Zweigoff's Ghost World. You know how in that film you have, uh, you know, oddballs showing up in the diner and they're in the background and you never get uh, a sense of who they are, but they're interesting. And you figure, boy, I bet they, they have... Uh, a, a movie unto themselves uh, that would be fascinating to watch and I'm just happy that they're here in this moment. Although Ghost World tends to have this vibe where are the, is Klaus mocking at these oddballs, these weirdos, or is he celebrating them? In Last Black Man, it's definitely a celebration. Yeah. Unless we're talking white college kids in a trolley. Those guys are punks. <laughs> um, Last Black Man in San Francisco is certainly speaking about gentrification and the fact that African-Americans are slowly being pushed out of that city and are existing on the fringes of San Francisco. And in fact, Jimmy's aunt is like uh, very much in the outskirts. 
and, you know, and it's 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 a bittersweet movie. It's it's uh, it's packed with melancholy, but there's a warmth to the storytelling, and, and I think a lot of that comes from the visuals as well as the performances from Jimmy Fails and Jonathan Majors. I think they're just so fantastic together. I love their chemistry, but from a comic book standpoint, it's all about those background characters and that that ghost worldness of it. And you know, the whole movie, I'm going, boy, this feels a lot like how Zweigoff and Klaus uh, frame shots. And right at the end of Last Black Man in San Francisco, something occurs mm-hmm. that confirms my belief that Ghost World is an inspiration on Last Black Man in San Francisco. So it's not like a, uh, you know, a spandex comic book movie. Well, neither was Little Monsters. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's in that underground comics, Harvey P. Carr, uh, R. Crumb, Daniel Klaus kind of storytelling. Ugly realism. Well, not necessarily like ugly realism, but like heightened realism. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of it is beautiful. Even the ugliness can be beautiful. I, you know, that those three-eyed fish. You know, those hazmat suits. Mm-hmm. I don't know what was you, what was your feeling on Last Black Man, Lisa? I thought I too found it like so aesthetically satisfying. It's like so visually rich. Um, Let's talk about the relationship aspect of this movie. Yeah, the uh, the relationship between. Um, Jimmy and Montgomery because there's definitely a power imbalance in that relationship. Jimmy is much more of a dreamer. He's much more of a of a the the one who, the decider in the well, relationship. And he's angry, right? And yeah. his anger makes him a little aggressive in his actions. But because of that power imbalance, Montgomery cannot really express himself fully to Jimmy until until he's he decides to lay out his criticisms in one sweeping gesture that kind of backfires i yeah. think that that it was it was like cold water to the face of jimmy yeah, yeah. i don't i don't want to spoil it too much you know just like we were trying to be rest- you know restraint with little monsters neither of these films are coming out anytime soon we just want them to be on your radar exactly exactly but i do think that you can learn a lot about like you know, you always should like if you have criticisms. Now they're not a romantic relationship. They're but they're best friends. They're familial, close. Yeah. And that you always have to keep those lanes of communication open. And there's love there. Oh, profound love, deep love, brotherly love. So yeah, true love. True love for sure. Uh, but uh, you know, I think this is a movie that you can come away with uh, responding to that, their relationship. I think that works. I and I think it's. I really, to me, it's just such a beautiful looking film, mm-hmm. and, and and it really stood out amongst all these movies we've been consuming over the last several days. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what I was thinking when I was like before we recorded? It was like there was like one more thing that we were watching, and we're like we have to talk about this. The Ask Dr. Ruth documentary. Oh. Because it plays into their, our self-help, uh, relationship advice yes. As, uh, yes. side of our podcast. We've been talking this entire series of episodes that we've been doing. You know, we've we've done Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages. We've done uh, John Gray's Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And we've come away really dissatisfied with a lot of their self-help talk. Right. And we, we both grew up as Dr. Ruth being this icon. Now, like, I mostly didn't really engage with 
um, her being on TV shows and and like her. I wasn't so much in in um, contact with her direct advice because it was like the early 80s and the 90s. I was like a child. My biggest connection to Dr. Ruth was that Quantum Leap episode where yeah. Sam Beckett <laughs> uh, warped into her body. Yeah. Great so, episode. But like watching this documentary, she is totally in the um, uh, comic book couples counseling vein of open communication and like you have to make sure that everybody in the relationship is comfortably satisfied. Now, like, we haven't really talked about, like, sex on our podcast, and I don't know if I'd necessarily be a thousand percent comfortable talking about that. We talked a little bit about it with Saga, certainly. That's that's true. So, um, but we definitely, she, uh, in in the context of this film, she's going towards her 90th birthday, Mm -hmm. and at the age of 89, she was publishing another book. So, um, we're definitely going to have to use one of her books um, on this podcast because she, she like this documentary is kind of like you get a, a little bit of her day-to-day life she's nine she's over 90 years old at this point she stays very busy her career is very much alive um so and you get to see that side you get to see her cultural impact yes. and how many people that she's helped but also you get to to get um, some more intimate details. She's been keeping diaries since she was 10 years old during the Holocaust when her her parents sent her to Switzerland where she could essentially be like a servant at this orphanage. And so like we get to hear these snips of her of her, her thoughts. of her jur- of her journals mm-hmm. during during this time of, you know, Surviving the Holocaust, devastation, um, becoming part of the Israeli army, all mm. of that, all of that stuff. She so. was a sniper. Yeah. Dr. Ruth was a sniper. Uh, yeah, and you know, like obviously, when you're listening to Dr. Ruth uh, in this documentary, uh, and I think I knew this already before watching the documentary, she aligns more with our. Uh, liberal sensibilities yeah. than Gary Chapman and John Gray do. Uh, she's a truly, you know, she she's not a political figure, but she is an em- empathetic figure, and, yeah. and and she believes in humanity and all its uh, facets and all, all all the paths humans can go down. There's no such thing as normalcy, right? Yeah. Uh, that that and that applies to relationships. That applies to sexuality, and that's something I I certainly believe in. And like I mean, it just goes to show like she sk- stared death in the face. How can how can a person be afraid of a conversation? Right. So we're not going to apply Dr. Ruth to our next series of comic book characters, but we'll certainly bring her back up. And maybe even when we return to Saga yeah. with Volume 5 later on down the year, Dr. Ruth might actually be a perfect uh, guru for those characters. Yeah, I think so. I guess that's really it. I know this is a short episode, but uh, we, you know, we just wanted to chime in. We wanted to check in. Didn't want to let you go without a week with hearing our lovely dulcet tones. Uh, Lisa. Yes. What, where can, where can we find you right now? I'm always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. You'll see all of my star ratings for these amazing films that I've been seeing at Sundance. And all of my reviews are going to be up at, on the After Movie Diner dot com not the after movie diner just after movie <laughs> diner 
Com. Yeah, our brains are mush. <laughs> so, Brad, where can our lovely listeners send the words of affirmation to you? Uh, you can send your words of affirmation to me at MouthDork on all social medias. Uh, you'll you can already find some reviews of mine at Film School Rejects. You can see some interviews that we've done at Film School Rejects. And yes, head on over to the In the Mouth of Darkness blog. Uh, we're also on Podbean. We're on iTunes. And um, uh, listen to those episodes We haven't recorded them yet We're going to record them when we get back to the Dort Cave We have lots of interviews coming up Ray Romano mm-hmm. Ray Romano is going to be on the In the Mouth of Darkness podcast And then yeah, okay So next week we're going to get back into the swing of things We're going to have our normal series We're kicking off our Batman and Catwoman conversation with uh, B- the Brave and the Bold issue 191. It's a Scarecrow issue. I've read it already. It's pretty great. <laughs> Has an amazing Jim Aparo cover. I love it so much. And I'm excited to talk Batman and Catwoman. I'm excited to get back to the DC universe. You yeah. Know, we touched it a little bit with Mr. Miracle, but well, now we're going to get proper DC comic talk going. That's right. Uh, yes, yes, Lisa, you were going to say? I was going to say where they could commit to this podcast. Are we ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can commit to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, and Spotify um, by subscribing. And we are always accepting the generous gift of five stars on iTunes. And be sure to leave a lovely complimentary review. Yeah, five stars. Only five stars. <laughs> we're a small podcast. We need that algorithm on our side. We sure do. Uh, Let us know if you liked us chiming in about the Sundance Film Festival or if you would have rather just talked about or had us talk about uh, the Batman Year 2 graphic novel that I read on the plane. (laughs) The problem is I don't read on planes. Yeah, you snooze. I I get a little fearful on planes, so I take a pill and I go, go, and I I write some Z's. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You sure do. You sure do. Well, uh, We have a movie to catch. Yeah, there you go, folks. Take care. Um, Until next time, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy 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 do